Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. This is Melissa Fradenberg in the Gross Point office. And today I am here with Kiara Madison, owner and founder of Madison Law. And she's also of counsel to Cousins Lansky. She is an estate planning attorney with over 18 years experience. Her focus is on trusts and estate planning. And in fact, she's actually taken a case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and prevailed and has recently been named D-Business Top Lawyer in Estates and Trusts for 2022. So, Kiara, we are so excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this. I am a fan of the podcast. I listen to the podcast. And so it's very exciting to actually be on the podcast. So thank you. The reason I wanted to have her on here today, not only because of her focus and experience in trust and estate planning, but we recently were discussing some of the common mistakes made with estate plans. And I thought that would be a very interesting topic. One of the reasons I asked Kiara to do this podcast is because she actually both drafts these documents as well as is involved in litigation when problems arise in enforcing and executing uh, estate plans. So this is gives you like a really interesting perspective. It does. It, it's somewhat unusual. There, are, you know, I, I'm not the only attorney who does both planning and then the litigating of these issues after someone dies or after they lose capacity. When there are questions about whether or not the plan, as written, should be enforced, whether or not it was actually the intent of the person who has lost capacity or has died, when beneficiaries or heirs or family members just have a disagreement with how things are being managed. I'm not the only attorney who does that, but there are not a lot of us who do it consistently and do it, you know, well, um, and who really focus on this uh, in their practice. And one of the reasons I love this topic, what the common mistakes are, is that I actually came to estate planning through the litigating. I was brought in to litigate these trust and estate and probate disputes, and In meeting with my clients in those situations, I realized they didn't even understand sometimes their own plans. These weren't their own plans. If these were family members, they didn't understand what estate planning is actually intended to do and what the process is like. Um, Sometimes disputes really get resolved once everybody gets informed and learns to understand. And because I am a litigator who has tried jury trials and, and, you know, done some things that typical estate planners, you know, who are dedicated solely to the estate planning probably have not done. I tend to like to focus on plainer language and understandability for people who do not do what I do for a living, because those are my clients. Um, And I think it's important they understand and it serves everybody if they actually understand. Get everything right for you and avoid problems for you and for your family. 
Absolutely. And as, as a financial planner back, but when I do hear pushback of hiring an estate planning attorney, it's not knowing what the estate plan entails and maybe not thinking it pertains to them. Right. And I, I get it. An estate. Well, I don't have an estate. I live in a, you know, $700,000, $800,000 home and I, I don't come from this generational wealth. So I guess that that would be the first mistake in estate planning is not thinking you need one. Right. So who needs an estate plan? I think when you understand what an estate plan is and what it does, when you truly understand that, uh, the answer quickly becomes really almost everybody. And I'll get into why that's the case. So an estate plan is not something that that simply says, here's who gets what when I die. A, a single will may say that, but a single will is not an estate plan. So an estate plan uh, provides for your needs during periods of incapacity. I, I'll tell you what, in my opinion, this is one of the most important reasons to have an estate plan. If you are single with no children, you absolutely need an estate plan because you need to designate who's going to take care of things for you when you lack capacity. There is, There may not be an obvious choice or someone ready to step up and truly have your best interests at heart you could end up with a court making these decisions. So an important part of estate planning is providing for your needs during periods of incapacity. So a full estate plan is going to include a financial or and legal durable power of attorney, a patient advocate designation, and often a funded living trust, not always, but often, more often than not. A full estate plan informs the appropriate people of what your wishes are. It provides the outline for how your wishes are to be honored, your preferred placement or living situation, you know, as you age or as you develop mobility issues, et cetera, who can have access to your financial, medical, and other personal information, and how you want your remains handled after you pass. I wanted to stop because, you know, when I asked who needs an estate plan, you said pretty much everyone. After hearing that list, even as somebody who promotes that everybody needs an estate plan. I just cannot believe, I already am thinking of more people that I need to be like, okay, you need to <laughs> sit down and do this because that is so important. And I think often we think of one, needing to have a huge estate, right? In order to have an estate plan. And then two, really thinking about it's the distribution of the assets after you die. Whereas what you just listed off is really about end of life and that you know, whether it happens young or old and how it's going to happen and how you want that to happen and who you really want taking care of everything, not just money, but your estate, meaning it's a life plan. And it also, if you have children within your estate planning documents, you can, you know, say who you want to care for, supervise and over and, and oversee your children's physical welfare, their financial welfare, you get a strategy and a plan for your assets, but you also get one for your life. Uh, and then there's also this, you know, avoidance of tax issues, those kinds of things where people may think, I don't have those issues. You need to have something in place that allows someone who you can trust to have your best interests at heart, handle those issues for you if they come up. And things are going to change in that regard very shortly. So Exactly. So more important than ever, 
not just with COVID and everything that has gone on. I think it has made people really take inventory on what they have and don't have in place for that. I guess it has really made it so that the unthinkable is a bigger potential than maybe it was a few years ago. I think a lot of people have lost that sort of, it can't happen to me, you know, confidence, which truly is false confidence. It is because it will happen to you eventually. Everybody ages. If you're, if you're lucky, you age, right? Right. That is what happens to you. If you that's the, the good side of this. So there's no reason, you know, not to do these, these things. Um, and honest to goodness, the process can be made relatively pain-free. That's so, the other thing that stops people. Like it's just daunting to get all this stuff together, to make the appointment, to sit down and talk about these things that are like undesirable outcomes. What if this happens? What if that happens? For instance, with a married couple, you know, who, if you die first, you know, what are your wishes? And I don't, I don't think a lot of married couples have talked about this. Now I have sat down and done the the estate plan with my husband. And I don't think I even knew like what he wanted in those scenarios. And we've been married for 14 years. I am amazed at how often that is the case. I have to say, usually the discussion ends up being very positive and really in a way, sort of fun. There's a lot of, especially, you know, you have these people that, you know, truly they're confronting these things together, dealing with it together. Um, You see a lot of really strong relationships uh, this way. And you see, you know, there's a lot of joking that goes on and, and having an estate planner who, who does this regularly, truly does have this as a focus is dedicated to it. Often we can sit there and we can say, well, wait a minute, this is not as big a conflict as you think it is, because here are the ways we can structure things in these kind of situations. You have options and you really get to an agreement 99% of the time, by the time this process is done, the couple is completely on board with the decisions made. Okay. They're not doing this in a, well, it's the best we could get. They're getting a, a solution that really satisfies them and that they're really comfortable with. But it, it has been interesting to watch, you know, you realize when you're sitting in the meeting, boy, you two have never really discussed this. Okay. Yeah. It's time. No. And, and I, I absolutely see how these things would not have been discussed. You bring me to another point, which I think is another mistake people make, which is not sitting down with an estate planning attorney. So you try to do like a DIY type situation. I deal with quite a few of those because I deal with these things being litigated after the person who did the DIY document has died. Okay. Yeah. And boy, does this create a burden on the very people that you, you didn't want to have the burden. And that's why you you did the document. Right. So let me, let me give you an example that we see arise really often. This is with blended families. Okay, and this is, I think this is a great example, even for people who are not in a blended family, a traditional family where it's a a single, you know, a single, a first and only marriage. All the children are the children of both the, um, both the spouses, right? So they share all the kids jointly. That's a a traditional family, okay? Blended family is where you have um, either a first marriage where someone had children outside the marriage before you got together, or, you know, a second marriage where everybody brings children from their prior marriages. So the two spouses do not 
biologically share all the children, okay? Right. Or even legally share all the same rights as to the children. Um, and one, one of the situations that gets litigated so often is that people with a blended family either aren't willing to have the conversation or aren't willing to go to the estate planning attorney, draft the documents themselves using forms on LegalZoom or on whatever platform. LegalZoom isn't somehow particularly nefarious or anything like that. Or make the mistake of going to an attorney who has a very general practice and sort of has their standard estate plan that they squeeze everybody into. We have two wills and a joint trust and mirrored powers of attorney and you know that kind of situation. Because with a blended family, it is almost never the smart decision to have an estate plan that says when spouse one dies, spouse two, everything goes to spouse two for the remainder of their life without much control over what spouse two can do. Spouse two has the ability to amend and change things. Spouse two can spend all the money. Spouse two can gift to whoever they want. But you have children, you're spouse one, and you have children who are not spouse two's children. Yep. It, that is not, that is something I see litigated all the time. Even if, even if um, spouse two tries to do the right thing, the children who are not the children of spouse two really may not have the level of trust needed and disputes, you know, arise in that situation. And if yeah. you're just going on legal zoom, or if you're just talking to an attorney who sort of, yeah, I do estate plans in addition to all these other things, they're not going to have all the various devices available that I have, or one of my colleagues has to really resolve that situation in a creative way that works for the spouses and for the rest of the family in a lasting way. Now, yes, I can 100% uh, not only do I come from a blended family where I think of, you know, if my stepmother were to pass first, now there is not a huge estate there that will be left to me either way. But yes, it would be a totally different scenario depending on who were to pass first. And I would certainly be left out if the order did not go my way. Right. So um, that is really important. And, and, and working with a lot of divorcees and women who, you know, at this point, their ex-spouse is remarried or getting remarried or dating somebody very seriously. Um, that is something that I would want to know what my children, what their legal right is. If something were to go not the way planned, right? Right. So, you want to know who has the ability to change things on your children, right? Right. What can your children count on? What can they not count on? And, and if someone other than the child's parent has this ability to change freely, you can never really count on that being there for your child and your child can't really count on it. That's interesting. That's so important. So yeah, I'm thinking like a million miles a minute now. I'm like, who I need to call this week on this <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I thought I knew a lot about this stuff, having one, having, you know, recommending this right. to clients, but I'm learning even more that I need to know. Now, maybe this leads to the next part on titling, joint titling, even in not in a blended family, 
Um, let's talk about how that could go wrong. So you're a husband, oh, wife. <laughs> this is, this is one of my favorite things. I'm so glad you got to this because this is another thing I end up, I end up doing two things with this. I end up litigating these and I end up looking at someone and saying, so sorry, you have no options here because this was done. So let's talk about joint titling because that is another device that people use and they say, I'll get around this whole estate planning thing. I'll just jointly title everything. Well, joint owners on bank accounts, on real estate, brokerage accounts, they have immediate ownership rights in access to and ability to spend and use whatever asset they have a joint ownership of right away. So, you know, number one, you know, let's say you put your spouse on the bank account. You, or I'll give you, I'll give you a better situation. Here's one that I see come up a lot. I uh, am the second spouse um, or I'm a divorcee or whatever. And I want, I'm just going to put my oldest son jointly titled on my bank accounts. My oldest son knows what I want. He knows I want him to share with his siblings. And I see where this is going. (laughs) he'll, He'll do that. And then a couple of years later, you look and, and your son decided to start his own business or he had a, a legal issue or a financial issue. And he thought, I'll just take some of this money out. He has the ability to do it. And he is a joint owner. So you cannot say he stole it. In most situations, it is very hard to prove that anything was intended. There is a legal presumption that if you make someone a joint owner with rights of survivorship, which is usually the way that's done on a bank account, et cetera. Um, And by the way, you'd have to micro-examine all the bank's account agreements to understand exactly what you're doing, um, which I end up doing after people die when we try to undo this. Um, You know, it is very hard. There's a presumption that what was intended is immediate joint ownership with rights of survivorship. So the son you've added to the bank account gets everything and has the right to do whatever he wants. That's the presumption. So if people are doing that with the intention of just avoiding probate, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put son A as joint owner on my mortgage deed, on my bank accounts, and this will save me money or them money by not having to create an estate plan and it'll avoid probate, right? That's the kind of the thinking, the logic behind doing that. Yeah. So, you know, a typical, a typical estate plan, I mean, you know, most of, most of the estate planning I am doing, this is for non-taxable estates, because right now, as you know, the threshold for taxable estates is very high right now. Um, So I am doing mostly non-taxable, you know, so a typical estate plan for a non-taxable estate, I mean, they're almost invariably coming in at at $5,000 or less, usually significantly below that for a non-taxable estate that is not especially complicated. You're not, you know, doing buy-sell agreements, transferring businesses in, et cetera. So what what people sort of tend to think of as uh, their basic estate plan for sort of a a regular Joe, let's say. Certainly $5,000 or less. Let's talk about what it costs to litigate these things. 
So you have decided in order to save money, you yes. are going to joint title, property, bank account, what have you. Then you pass. Yes. And, and maybe you told all your children. Yes. Listen, oldest brother, Roger, knows what I want. He's supposed to share all this with you. I put his name on it, but he knows this is the way it's supposed to go. You pass older brother, Roger, for whatever reason, maybe he misunderstood you. Maybe he's lying to himself and truly believes the now convenient to him idea that, oh no, she intended me to have all this because I helped her for all these years. Well, then you have to litigate this. Litigating these things, it is not, it is not unusual to get into litigation that lasts a year, two years on things like this and can cost tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of dollars. Well, and let's even, say, for, even if, even if said son does exactly what the mom's wishes were, or even is fair, right, in the division of these assets that he was titled on, that doesn't mean that sibling you know, sister from California, whatever comes in and doesn't think that that's what mom intended, right? So even that is a terrific point. And that goes back to what we sort of discussed in the beginning, which is a big part of estate planning, a big part of its purpose is so that no one has to wonder what it was you wanted. Exactly. There's an answer. And that brings me to something that I like to, I really like to talk to my clients about, and that is having appropriate communication with your family, whoever your intended heirs or beneficiaries are, about your planning. You don't have to tell everyone all of your business. You don't. And you do get to use your own judgment about how much disclosure will work best for your situation, for your family dynamics, for, you know, what the elements of your estate are. Do you have things you really need to keep quiet for business reasons, et cetera? You can make these decisions, but at minimum, typically, everyone who is an heir or a beneficiary named in your plan in any way, you've got them named as a beneficiary uh, on an account. They're named as a beneficiary in your trust. They're named as what we call a devisee. People commonly think of it as an heir. I'll use the common parlance for that. Um, you know, they're, they're someone you're giving something to in their will, they should know who you have named as your fiduciaries and who to contact to get copies of your planning documents if you become incapacitated or die. And how to access your wishes. So you don't need to tell them exactly how you're splitting. I think that's no. what causes people this like secrecy, right? They're not, I don't right. want my kids to know. Well, they don't have to know how much or who gets what at this point until after you pass, but they need to know that there is a trust in place or yep. there are these documents in place, where to find copies of them should something happen to you and the appropriate attorney to contact to find right. out. Right. Attorney, financial planner, you know, often we, you know, clients provide these copies of these documents to their financial planners, which I encourage if the financial planner wants to have it to guide. Um Absolutely. This is something you really have to tell them. Now, this is an interesting point. I see this mistake made often. Estate planning is a time to be honest with yourself and with your professionals who are there to help you. 
So that would be another mistake is not being honest. That is another mistake. Yeah. Hiding things or not being honest. Look, if somebody has a drug problem, somebody has a drinking problem, somebody has a gambling problem, someone is married to you, someone you want to give assets because you want them to be supported, has a spouse who's very controlling and who you suspect might try to take advantage of the money. You got to, you don't have to tell them that. You do have to tell the professionals who are trying to help affect what you want. That is so important. So people are embarrassed of family dynamics. I found not just with my family, my personal experience, but working with families and financial planning that everybody's got something, right? Something that they don't really want to talk about or that, you know, they look at as, you know, what is a normal family anymore, right? Everybody's got something. So you're saying that, a mistake in estate planning is not exposing those potential things that could come up when this plays out to you. Yes. Because you can help protect that. And again, about it's all about your wishes, how you want things to go. So if you don't bring up the potential things that could get in the way of your wishes, then you can't protect against them. That's absolutely right. And, and a good estate planner can typically draft. So even in the document, it's like, it's not like the document necessarily has to say, listen, Susie's husband is not a good person. And so I want Susie's money in trust, even though the rest of the sister's money gets great, you know, gets distributed to them outright upon my passing. I want Susie's to be in trust. And I want her sister, Jennifer, to be the trustee of the trust. And she can only make distributions to Susie for certain specific things, because I need to make sure that Susan's, you know, Susie's husband does not get his paws on that money. The estate plan does not have to say outright, we don't like Susie's husband. Yeah. I have to say that. Nobody's going to read this up. I think of like in the movies when like somebody dies and they all come in a room and somebody's like reading off. And- absolutely. <laughs> Listen, absolutely not. And that is actually a discussion I have often with my clients. And, and it's a discussion I have with people who call me and say, Listen, I think I need to sue the personal representative of my mother's estate. My brother's the personal representative and he has never had a formal reading of the will. Well, guess what? In Michigan, you're not required to have a formal reading of the will. Yeah. You're, you're not required. I mean, I would so, imagine that more often than not, that doesn't happen. Bingo. Okay. And it happens in the movies. Yeah. Well, that and goes back to this whole like misconception about what an estate plan is. It's like these big stone houses and everybody shows up with all their diamonds and they sit there and they, I mean, we are talking about real life families, blended families. These are for everyday people. This is for who gets what, how things are, you know, most importantly, when you're still alive, but maybe incapacitated, how things are handled. So the movies are not helping people understand who needs this and how it actually plays out in real life. But I always say it's sort of the opposite of what people think it is in that if you want to make sure this doesn't get expensive and doesn't turn into a big deal, you will have a well-done estate plan that you keep updated. That is, I think that might be the biggest mistake that we've just identified is thinking that by not having an estate plan, you're saving money. You're not saving money and you're making things more complicated, not less complicated. Now, that leads me into another point that I want to talk about, about complication. A little bit of pushback that I've heard is 
not just in the cost of having an estate plan done, but getting things inside the plan. So like if you were to create a trust as part of your estate plan, if that is deemed necessary, you have to fund it. I see that mistake all the time where people have this document, they come in with a big binder and they're like, I have one, but nothing's in it. Right. So that, (laughs) that would be a big mistake that I see in my profession where I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I think also the idea that like, it's complicated to get your house or your bank account in the name of your trust is, is a mistake as well as just a misconception about this process. So could you touch on that a little bit? Absolutely. So I always say, you know, in common parlance, I hear even planners saying, okay, you got to fund the trust. First of all, I say fund the plan, not necessarily fund the trust, because even if you don't have uh, an estate plan that includes a trust component or these others, you have to fund the plan. The word fund is, of course, a hot button because people think, well, I don't have a lot of money. What do you mean I got to fund this? I got to pay money out of pocket to fund this? Funding means how you title things and how you set up. The two primary things are how you title things and how you set up your beneficiary designations. Okay. So a general assignment of personal property. If you have a trust, a general assignment of personal property to the trust is very good. It's a one-page document that usually comes in any estate plan where where you have a trust. You don't have to ask for it separately. It's in there. It's kind of automatic. That way, you don't have to, if you have an estate plan that, that handles almost everything, whether it's by joint titling, whether it's by beneficiary designations, et cetera, if you don't have a general assignment, there is going to be some straggling item that you then have to probate. Despite right. the fact that you got the estate plan drawn up and you have a trust or you have, you're going to have to probate it. Um, but here's how easy it is to do this. First of all, I can tell you that typically in my estate planning, when you get your binder of all your estate planning documents, there is usually an overview document. I say, okay, here are your different classes of assets that you've disclosed to me, which by the way, disclose all your assets. But here they are. Here's what you have to do for each one to get it titled. And it's step-by-step instructions. And in most estate planning practices, there's also this option. We have paralegals who will do the titling for you. Even better. We'll, we'll contact your banks. We'll, you know, but, but, and I will tell you this, you go to your bank, you get what's, what's called a certificate of trust existence and authority. You go to your bank with it and you say, Hey, I got my estate planning done. This certificate of trust existence and authority lays out all the information that a bank or a brokerage or your financial planner, et cetera, need to see. It's all the key elements. And you say, here it is. And they say, hold on a moment. And all of a sudden they whip up all this paperwork and they give it to you and you sign the paperwork. And then your items are typically titled correctly. Exactly. So let's kind of bust that myth. That should not be a hindrance or a reason to not have a trust done because it's not complicated. It is not complicated. It's not. Absolutely not. Well, I I really love this. I feel like, you know, this um, is going to be so beneficial to our listeners, whether they have one and maybe need to revisit or made some of these common errors in having their trust set up. 
Or if somebody's listening and thought this didn't apply to them because like they see in the movies, that was not their life. And now you're realizing this might be a benefit. So I want to touch on how people can get a hold of you if they would like to either revisit one they've already had drafted or the potential to have an estate plan set up. So the best way to get a hold of you is? Well, my phone number at Cousins Lansky is 248-489-9600. You just call and ask for me or ask for my assistant. My email, kiaramadison at cousins.com. I'm going to link in the show notes, your website, your email, your blog, because maybe people, you know, we have just scratched the surface and I would love to have you come back and do another podcast because we could, I could talk to you for hours about estate planning or anything actually. So we will definitely have you back. But in the meantime, if people maybe um, want to learn a little bit more about this, I'm going to link your blog in the show notes too, so they can have access to that. Thank you so much for your time, Kira. I really have enjoyed this. And again, my mind is just spinning with all the uh, changes (laughs) I need to make to my own estate plan documents, as well as people who need uh, to hear this podcast. So, well, I want to thank you for having me. uh, And and I want to thank you and Melissa Joy and Pearl Planning for always being an available resource that I can refer to with questions and that I can send people to and know that they'll be taken care of really well. I appreciate that so much. Oh, well, we feel the same way about you. It means so much to us. So thank you so much. Thanks. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.